Looking ahead. Challenges and opportunities in the changing world. Welcome to Talking Economics, a podcast by the Center for Economic Research and Graduate Education, Economics Institute. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has boosted the already high prices of oil and gas in the European Union and forced many countries to reconsider their energy supplies. The EU is heavily dependent on Russia for its oil and gas, where two-fifths of gas Europeans burned came from Russia in 2021. How come the energy situation in the EU is so dependent on Russia? What are the prognoses for energy costs and related costs of living for the near future? We talk about war on Ukraine's effect on European energy with Sylvester van Cotten, a Sergii PhD alumnus and senior researcher at the Faculty of Social and Economic Studies, University of Jan Evangelista Purkinje. Sylvester specializes in energy economics and economic experiments with a special interest in economics of electricity markets, renewables and regulation. Welcome, Sylvester. Thank you. Well, we we talked earlier, right? We talked before and in our last podcast, um, there were hopes and there were predictions that the price gas prices would fall in spring 2022. But then Russia invaded Ukraine and everything changed. Can you tell us in detail how did the war impact the markets? Well, the, the main factor that impacts the markets is the fact that Europe and America and other allied countries have decided to stop buying gas and oil from Russia. And we see that this has an effect everywhere. Oil prices are much higher. Uh, People in America are complaining about this. But if you look at America and you compare it to Europe, uh, you almost have to laugh because it's incomparable. Yeah, the, the price increase in Europe is so much bigger than in America because we not only have to deal with the oil, the higher oil price, but we have a gas price. As so oil price is maybe double from normal. That's terrible. But the gas price is 10 times the normal price or even more with spikes higher. And this also reflects into the electricity price because electricity price is always set by the most uh, expensive producer and this is usually gas. Uh, so the, the price of electricity is super high as well. Now, the problem is not directly the high prices in this sense, because but the thing that these high prices indicate, and that is a shortage, a shortage of mainly gas, somewhat oil, uh, oil that should yeah that, that should uh, balance out over the co- over the next couple of years uh, because there is there is a lot of oil available uh, oil can be shipped around uh, there's a little bit of a mismatch between the qualities of the oils and the refineries this mm-hmm. this increases the price further but that should be able to be worked out however the gas is more a fundamental point because as you mentioned in your introduction, 40% of gas comes from Russia. And now suddenly we have to replace that. And that is showing to be incredibly difficult. So uh, how has it happened that the energy situation in the EU is so dependent on Russia? So this is actually a long story that started 50 years ago. And we talk about, we're in the 60s here, and think this was a time of, of a lot of coal around, uh, oil was making its march. And then it was clear that um, 
that it would be good to find an alternative source. And we see that in the Netherlands, a big gas field is found, the Groningen gas field. And around that time, or a bit before that, also the Russians found these huge gas fields in Western Siberia. So the idea came up then that, uh, well, wouldn't it be possible to somehow connect these things? And this coincides with uh, with the whole Ostpolitik from, from Germany, uh, looking eastwards, trying to uh, to amend for a, a very, very bad past uh, of, of Nazi Germany, of course, but to see if they could amend relationships, not make East and West drift apart. Uh, this is even made more, more, uh, more significant by the fact that in 68, we then have the invasion of Czechoslovakia uh, where people get very angry at Russia, but somehow a reaction, for example, in Germany is the opposite. It's like, okay, they did something bad, but we should not let this totally divide the world. We should try to keep building bridges. Hmm. And one of these bridges was this gas project. So they focused on building these gas pipes from, from Siberia uh, to, to Austria, to the first gas pipe. And the, uh, I, I mean, uh, this was a real cooperation. Uh, the, the Germans made the steel, the Italians made pipes and compressor stations. The Russians were struggling in very difficult uh, land to build these pipelines. And in a couple of years, they managed to make these pipes there. What happened then? So we talk here about the Soviets, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. early 70s, and they have contracts for gas and they keep their contracts and they struggle. Yeah, to, to supply all the gas that mm -hmm. they wrote in the contracts. They struggled with that sometimes in the beginning, but they rather let their own people sit in the cold mm -hmm. than not fulfill their contract. Mm -hmm. And after that, we see that in the 80s, more pipelines are built and the Soviet Union, even in, in the worst kind of parts, shows itself to be a very reliable supplier. I would say this is an EU-Russia or EU-Soviet Union love story. A love story of 50 years where people have said, oh, but the Soviet Union will use the gas weapon. Russia will use the gas weapon. And every time people could say, well, look, this is what they did in all history. They never have ever used it as a weapon. They've always been totally reliable. Uh -huh. They can cooperate and can be a good partner. Mm -hmm. But that shows that today... We have one man there, Putin, and he has been willing in a bonfire to burn this reputation, to tarnish his reputation, to rip, uh, yeah, to rip an, an energy marriage with the EU apart. Yeah, it's astonishing. It's astonishing. It's the end of, of, a, of a lifetime. But there have been signals, right, as Putin is in, in power for... 20 years now, right? There have been talks about, okay, we need to do something about that, right? The European Union has started to be a little more cautious 10 years ago, and that's the discussion about the Nord Stream number two, right? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, I mean, uh, Europe has always gone head, uh, head first uh, along this ride. Uh, the criticism has always come from America, already starting with Nixon as one of the first to criticize these first pipelines and then all the presidents after him. I just named them uh, Reagan, Carter, uh, Clinton, Obama uh, and Trump. 
each and every one of them criticized this use of gas. But the Europeans said, well, we know better than you. Yeah, we, we, we do this. And look, uh, this is also uh, what we call wandel door handel. Yeah, you you treat with, uh, trade with each other. You, you build common institutions. You get better understanding. You get a more peaceful cooperation. And look how wonderful this worked for Europe. Yeah, how wonderful this mm. worked for the European Union. Because... I mean, if you look at even the 20th century and we don't look at the world wars, there was always war in Europe. Today, it's, it's unthinkable within the EU to have a war. So it really worked well. So European Union is relatively heavily dependent on Russia. Uh, what about the differences within the Union? Uh, there are probably some countries within the Union who are more dependent than others. What about the Czech Republic? Ah, the Czech Republic is very dependent. The Czech Republic is in the center of Europe, uh, doesn't have harbors. There are no ships with coal uh, coming. There's no LNG ships coming. There are no ships with oil coming. Uh, everything is coming from the pipeline, and these pipelines come from Russia. Uh, this is, of course, very different. Let's look at Italy. For Italy is actually also very dependent on Russia, uh, but they also have pipelines to Algeria. So mm-hmm. they get some Algerian gas. They uh, get now also some gas from Azerbaijan. Uh, and this is great, but these are small amounts. Yeah, these amounts would need to be be uh, upgraded. And what is the problem with upgrading mm, the capacity of the pipelines or rather the, the limits of production? No, the pipeline. So, so you would have to build a new pipeline uh, along what's, what's well for for Azerbaijan you would have to build a new pipeline next to it. This is possible, but takes three, four, five years. And then you have also people saying, oh, but what about our decarbonization? And so we have actually the green green lobby or the green coalition who is saying, um, wait, we shouldn't do more gas projects. Mm. So um, we know where we are. Um, what can we expect? What do you think is ahead of us? What is the prognosis for the energy costs and then the costs of living for the near future? The prognosis is very bad. We have now the first shock of price. I would say this is this is just the beginning yeah, because um, a lot of traders in electricity, they hedge forward half a year, a year. So these hedges are going to, yeah, expire. to expire. They're going to hedge new and these prices are very high. You could say that EU has, well, they didn't want to participate or support a country, of course, in, in a, yeah, uh, well, some people call it genocidal war. Anyway, it's an illegal invasion of a country. And we see all these atrocities happening. Uh, human rights are violated uh, on huge scale. Uh, bombing is specifically sometimes target on, uh, on human centers of no military uh, value. So it's clear that the EU doesn't want to participate in that. So this energy boycott is a way to counter Russia But the question is if this is really the best way, because the harm that we do to ourselves is incredible. Uh, and as I said, it only just started. But what we will see, uh, well, we now see high bills, but these bills will probably be higher. And we get now that industries industries have already decided not to invest in Europe. Yeah? This is the first step when the economic situation becomes much worse. Industries decided not to do investments. This has stopped, of course. But the next step is that industries are going to close branches. 
or relocate investment. So we have plants closing, we have deindustrialization, we have more unemployment, we have shortage of gas in the winter, we may have energy poverty of people. Uh, I actually fear more like a possible social unrest. I don't fear that so much for this winter. I think this winter will still be, well, there will not be a shortage, I believe. Prices will be high. The problem is really the winter after that. Yeah, after this winter, or, uh, uh, or, or storages are empty of gas, uh, what are we going to do then? Um, <clears throat> the whole world is not dependent on Russia, right? And there are other sources of gas. And I know it's very difficult to transport gas. We have the pipelines that are the best way. Is there any other way how we can trade, trade with the US or other partners? Well, there is, of course, if you don't get the gas through the pipe, then today you get it through LNG, yeah, mm. this liquefied natural gas. You can take the gas, you freeze it, it becomes uh, what is it, 600 times more compact, and then it becomes actually economically to ship it around on big ships. Now, there are several problems with this. Yeah? So one is there is not enough uh, import capacity of Europe. Yeah, mm -hmm. are, you need to build these stations for that. Uh, they're not there. You have some floating ones. Uh, Germany will take, will rent three floating ones. But there is also a lack of flow, these floating uh, mm. uh, parts. Uh, England has a lot of them. Uh, Spain, Portugal have a lot of them. But they are not that well connected to the rest of Europe. So actually, the import capacity is not enough. And this is something that can be improved in the coming two, three, four years. Okay. Uh, but it will take a lot of investment. And then also, the amount of LNG gas, uh, actually, now we are quite lucky with it because it's, it's pretty abundant. Uh, the winter wasn't too, too, too hard last mm. winter, uh, not in the whole of the northern hemisphere. And we're competing with places like Japan, uh, Korea, uh, China to a, to a degree, and uh, their demand for LNG is not so high. So there's a little bit more LNG than we could usually expect or that we could normally expect, or maybe, for example, next, mm -hmm. uh, next winter, it could be much worse, actually. So there's actually not enough LNG gas around. Uh, but of course, it's expensive, yeah? Mm -hmm. But the prices are now such that it attracts them. Uh, yeah, but there's not enough LNG, there's not enough import capacity, and uh, we have to see. Uh, this is going to be very problematic, especially, I mean, in most, most analyzers look at the coming year, and the coming year is a struggle, but probably will be done. But I'm really worried about the year after that, and the year after that again. Yeah, so the, the, the two years after coming winter. Mm -hmm. Oh. This seems to be a great push towards uh, increasing the speed towards renewable uh, sources of energy, right? We've been talking about increasing the role of green energy and, and other sources. So what does this crisis do to these trends? Is it speeding it up or is it actually in a way uh, creating obstacles because we need to focus on fixing the crisis and don't have the energy to uh, invest in, in new solutions. Uh, yeah, I think that's a very good way to sketch the dilemma. Yeah, uh, Is it going to speed up things or is it actually giving such a crisis that it's difficult to speed up? 
Uh, I think that's quite difficult to say. I, I think it. I think it will speed up. Uh, it will speed up. There will be more investment in uh, wind plants and solar. But we have to to understand that only about 25% of all the gas is burned to make electricity. So we have still 75% of the gas that somehow yeah, needs to be addressed in different ways. Uh, we also see that renewables, in the end of the day, they do not replace that much energy. Uh, uh, I mean, they've been growing and this is nice. I mean, it's it's very nice, but it's not a substantial replacement. Mm -hmm. And as you say, uh, we, we, if everything becomes more expensive. We even see that building uh, windmills is actually becoming more expensive because you need so much steel and material for it. And these are all that had have an up, upwards push in prices. Mm -hmm. You could say more generally that the EU should just burn anything it can get hands on. Yeah, uh, renewables, sure. Yeah, solar, wind, why not? Uh, wood, coal, yes, anything. So you think we are going back to coal to some extent, at least temporarily? I, I think so, but not only I, I think so. Uh, this has been in the news a week ago that uh, in Germany they already decided that mm -hmm. certain plants will stay open for coal. Austria has decided this. Holland has decided this. Uh, Czech Republic has officially decided nothing yet, but I read that, um, um, that they are also talking already about coal. Um, yeah, so... So you, you're uh, painting a rather bleak picture for not only, I would say, near future, but for a couple of years ahead. Do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? When can we Actually, I, I do see a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it's a very bittersweet light. Uh, we, we should understand that our actions in energy were a way to counter Russia of committing uh, crimes of humanity in, in Ukraine. And we should see it as a part of that. Uh, I, I think there may be a moment that uh, Europe will step to Russia and ask for renegotiation yeah, to uh, relaxation of sanctions on Russia in exchange for gas. I think there is a scenario where that happens. The reality is that what we do with energy has a huge cost for us and only very little effectivity on Russia. So. Maybe we should rethink, we should, uh, I think it would be a good idea to, to take this scenario as a realistic one, as a realistic mm -hmm. possibility that we have to renegotiate with Russia. This is a moment you don't want to renegotiate from a weak position. So ideally, this would be the moment that, that most or all of Ukraine has been liberated. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And then EU can actually renegotiate over energy actually from economically a desperate position, but strategically they have created facts on the ground, something Putin is usually quite good in. Okay, uh, speaking about the situation here uh, and the way we can actually mitigate the, the negative impact on people to maybe prevent the social unrest, uh, Czech Republic is proposing a special tariff on electricity and then the power supplies to mitigate the, the growth in the prices. Do you find it a good solution or um, would you have a better suggestion? Yeah, this is difficult. Yeah. I mean, it, we know that this is not the most efficient outcome. We also know that yeah, you, you don't want uh, people to suffer from energy poverty. 
Um, the, the best solution, if you really want to do something, of course, economic theory says, well, keep the prices as they are, uh, but give targeted subsidies, yeah, mm, lump sum mm. subsidies to uh, families that have very low income. That would be the, the first best. It's not always possible to do that. So then this can be an alternative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is kind of okay if this is short term. But what if this takes uh, two, three, four, five years? Mm -hmm. And if, if you look at the forward prices of electricity, uh, the expectation is prices stay high for another five years. So. Mm. And by, by uh, decreasing the price, we are actually pushing the demand higher, right? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. So we are yeah. actually worsening the situation in, in a way. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You think the impact is not that great? Well, it depends. Yeah, if everybody does it, it has a big effect. But if mm. so, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess it has an effect. Some. Yeah, I'm, I'm more worried. Uh, longer term, I'm more worried also about industries yeah, for who it is just not feasible anymore to produce in Europe, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't think they get subsidies. And then there is a limit to what kind of level of subsidies you can give. Or, or finances already have been negatively affected by COVID. So, um, hmm. yeah, at some point, uh, this, this is not much you can do anymore. Okay, Sylvester, thank you for coming here. I think we talked uh, extensively about the current situation. I don't know, if, is there anything you would like to add? Yeah, the only thing I want to add is that I hear people a lot complaining about prices, prices being too high, but this is not a primary problem. The problem is a shortage, and these prices are an indication of that. Uh, so we, we need to address the shortage, really. That is that is the way to out of this crisis. Thank you. Thank you. And hopefully we will work on the way out of the crisis pretty quickly. Thank you for being here. Yeah, it was my pleasure.